This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, I think one of the, one of the refrains, at least I'm hearing in my life and even coming from myself uh, uh, around right now, is we just all want things to get back to normal a little bit, right? Um, and there's, there's some good in that. There's also uh, some bad underneath that too. But uh, if you've been around this summer, you'll know that we, we kind of pause from our preaching. If you, you probably don't even remember what we were preaching before the summer. But we've been preaching uh, through various psalms in the Old Testament all summer. And I was debating kind of what to do uh, this Sunday. We're, we're going we're gonna to jump back in uh, to the book of Acts is where we were uh, pre pre-COVID-19, so if you were with us then, you'll know we'd been working kind of methodically. If you're new to our church, kind of the way we, we operate is we preach typically uh, books of the Bible, kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse type of preaching, and we were in, in the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament, and so this week, um, kind of debating what to do, preach, there were other psalms I wanted to preach and, and do some different things, but I've decided, I thought it would, it would be good for us to, to, to come, come back to Acts uh, and maybe just get reoriented to what was going on in that book, uh, where we were at. I'm not going to pick up where we left off, which is in chapter 9. Uh, I'm actually going to go back uh, to chapter 1. Uh, of the book of Acts, and so if, you're, if you've got a Bible with you, you're welcome to, to open that up or turn that on. Um, it, it's going to be a, this is a fresh sermon from a fresh perspective, so I, I didn't kind of re-preach what, what we preached back in the fall, um, but we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1 just as a, as a bit of a reintroduction to what's going on. And if, you're, if you weren't with us before, or you're new to the Bible, or you, you just care about what we're going to be teaching about, let me just kind of give... Let me just farm in a little bit of information about the book itself so you kind of know where we're at, what's going on. And, and I, I don't want to front load this with just a ton of information. I'll kind of see that in a little bit later as we preach through different texts and whatnot. But, uh, but the book of Acts is, is volume two of a two-volume set written by a man named Luke. Uh, Luke uh, is, was a Gentile, meaning he was not Jewish. Uh, Luke is the only Gentile author in the New Testament, uh, he was uh, a doctor uh, by, by yeah, that was his career. He was a doctor. Uh, he was also a historian and a theologian. Uh, he wrote uh, very thorough accounts. Uh, so volume one of Luke would be uh, what, we, what we call Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke. There, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Luke wrote volume one, and then uh, Acts is volume two. It's, it's the follow-up set uh, to, to what he wrote in in the, in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the book of Acts uh, is, a, is, a, is a rather extraordinary account of kind of the fallout of what happened after Jesus' earthly life. So these, um, these verses and chapters that we have, there's 28 of them, uh, contain actual historical events. So these are not um, made-up things. They're not parables. They're not poetry, you know, there's a variety of genres in the Bible, but this is historical narrative. And historical narrative has the unique ability uh, to communicate uh, two things to us as we, as we work through it. One is, it, it has the ability to communicate truth. So even though it's not like an epistle or a theological essay or a sermon, 
There's truth in it. Uh, The other thing that historical narrative uniquely can communicate um, is the implications of that truth. One of the ways one of my seminary professors would put it is it it teaches us um, both what is true and what to do. And so as we look at the book of Acts, um, it it is largely describing events, not necessarily prescribing what we have to do as as a church. And that's important. So as we walk through these events, it's it's descriptive of something that happened uh, at a certain place and time with certain people and events uh, in history through which we can glean principles and truths and reality from in a way that would show us how we ought to be living our lives. So this morning, we're going to look um, at Acts chapter 1. If you're following along in the, in the liturgy, I only put one verse there, verse 8. That's kind of the verse we're going to just, you know, like double-click on and just kind of explore a little bit more. But I want to go ahead and read actually the first 11 verses of chapter 1, just so you have just a broader context of what's going on. Uh, and then we're, we're going to just hover around verse 8. So if you'll follow along with me as we uh, listen to God's Word uh, read beginning in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 1. The Gentile physician Luke writes this to you, people of God. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But this is God's word, and it will never do that. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Father, we, we come to you now collectively um, longing to hear you speak from your word. Uh, we, without your help, are entirely helpless. And we ask now that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe uh, your word this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
One of the fun things about my job, there's not many particularly fun things about my job that I would say, but th- there's, there's actually two things about my job that I, that I thoroughly find fun. Um, one of those is um, premarital counseling. Um, I think it's fun to spend time with young, naive, vaguely naive, innocent couples uh, spend some time with them. I, I also, another part of my job, entirely separate, is uh, I get a lot of communication from different ministries and missionaries and, you know, letters, support raising, updates, all that stuff. Usually it, it finds my way into my email box. You know, I, I get a lot of that kind of stuff. So let me just, I'm going to kind of talk about each of those. And I'm going to tie it together here to start off this morning. Uh, one of the things about premarital counseling that I like to do is that there's a book um, that was written, I don't even know, I don't know, 80s or 90s, the love languages, five love languages. Many of you are familiar with it. Um, and and the, the kind of the, the, the working thesis of that book is that we all have our own love languages that really, you know, kind of meet us where we're at. And so there's, I think there's five of them, you know, acts of service, quality time, uh, gifts. Uh, I should know these all. I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's five of them. Um, clearly, I'm not doing them all well. I, don't, I know what my wives are. Um, but affirmation, that's the other one. Um, but anyway, there's these five love languages. And one of the things I love to do in premarital counseling, if any of you have been through that with me, is I love to kind of, I don't make them read the book usually, but I just kind of give the brief overview. And then I have them guess, you know, what the other one is really like. And, you know, for the most part, these young couples don't ever get it right. There's been a couple that really nail it and they kind of understand their person. But they, they don't really get the love language thing yet. So that's, that's kind of fun uh, to watch. Second, second thing, entirely separate, is this week uh, I got a letter from, from some friends. Uh, some of you know them. They hang around our church, Colin and Dee Murphy. Uh, Colin and Dee Murphy, uh, they've been around our church a little bit. I think they worship regularly at another church. But they, uh, they're longtime Wycliffe Bible translators. And uh, they're heading into retirement. And this was kind of kind of a letter update on that. And they're, they were talking about in the letter just, you know, their really rich life of Bible translation. They did some work down in Papua New Guinea. And they brought a, you know, they brought a translated Bible uh, to the people group that they were working with. And it was very rewarding and and all that, and it was just a super inspiring letter. But there was this one little th- phrase uh, that Colin in his letter, I think Colin was writing the letter, uh, that he said, he was talking about, you know, Bible translation and how God speaks to us through his word and different human languages. But there's just this one little kind of, it was almost a throwaway line that he just kind of threw in there. He never really expounded on it in the letter. But he, talk, he, he asked the question, what language does God speak in? And his answer, I just love the answer, uh, again, he didn't expand on it, so I just need to get his time and talk more with him about it. But he, his answer was, God speaks uh, in the language of our heart. And I, I, just, I just, found that really, just found that really insightful. Like the, the, the way that God speaks to us, yes, he speaks through his word, and, and I, I know all that theologically is true. But like the way actually that God gets to us is through our heart language and and it's it's not a human language here's here's what you need to know about yourself today and it's true across the board like i don't have to know you if we've never met i know this is true because you're a human and 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 this is what you need to know is that your heart was made to be ruled by love 
um, across the board, all generations, from the ancient of times till the end of the times, every single human being was made by God to be ruled by his love. Now, here's, here's why that's important. That, that might not sound, you know, all that profound, um, but here's why that's important. Um, many of us are spending our lives trying um, to feed that need. And so what we, what we typically do is we spend our entire lives building up our lives um, to have, have the love that, that our heart so desperately needs. And the language I want to introduce, it's the language of, of the entire books of Acts. Acts, uh, the book of Acts. It's, the, it's actually the, the bookends, the beginning and the end of the book, introduces this language of the kingdom. Now, if you've been around Christianity and the Bible, that, that's not new terminology to you. Uh, Jesus frequently spoke about the kingdom of God and interchangeably using the language of the kingdom of heaven. Um, but I, I kind of want to, I just want to really... Um, unpack that in a very simple way this morning, that, that the kingdom language is what your heart is actually desperately craving. Because the kingdom of God is nothing less than the divine rule of divine love. Like that, that's how I would over, perhaps overly simplify what God's kingdom is, is when God's rule of his love is taking place. And what we see in the book of Acts is God has begun the work of establishing his reign of love, uh, reign like a monarchy reign, R-E-I-G-N, a reign of love in the world. And um, perhaps it's, you know, it's countercultural. It goes against the grain uh, because what you see in the text is, is what these early followers of Jesus wanted was an earthly, monarchical, political rule. They wanted Jesus to come and to establish the rule of Israel on earth uh, and undermining, you know, Roman Empire and all of the powers that be. They wanted that to come like that. And Jesus, his response was always, you don't understand the kingdom. You don't understand the way it's going to unfold. And so as we, as we look at the book of Acts, what we're going to see is, is God unfolding kind of act one uh, or, or phase one, which is a different word to not be confusing, phase one of God's big plan of the kingdom. And phase one is for his love to rule our hearts. The way the kingdom of God will come to earth is when individuals are overcome by divine love in their own lives. And then that goes out into the world. And so what we'll see in these 28 chapters in the book of Acts, we'll pick up in chapter 9 next week, is what that looks like. What happens when your heart uh, becomes established with God's love? So let me, let me just do this this morning. We're going to look at... Just kind of two main things, uh, two points this morning. We're going to look at the power of that kingdom, and then we're going to look at the presence of that kingdom. And as I was kind of preparing this and just reading about Acts in general, 
I just couldn't shake um, the way that God works is is in, with, and through us. So I just, I'm just going to just throw that out there. I'll probably weave it in at some point. But like this, this idea of God's kingdom ruling your heart with his love begins in you. It involves doing life with you, and then it goes through you. So just, just hang on to that for what it's worth. So let's talk first about the power um, of the kingdom. Uh, like I previously mentioned, uh, the, the terminology of the kingdom is, is thoroughly um, Bible. Like both Old and New Testament, uh, Jesus frequently used this language of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you know, his, his opening sermon was, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. That, that was Jesus' kind of headliner movement at the beginning. Uh, it, even in the, in the prayer, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught his disciples how they ought to be praying. You know, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In, in that statement, in that prayer, uh, what Jesus was doing was he was reflecting to us what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God comes when God's will is done. So, I, so the million-dollar question is, you know, what is God's will? Uh, you know, people have poured ink and spent, you know, mindless hours just kind of drilling through that. Well, what, what, is, what is God's will? Uh, Jesus regularly used obscure teachings like, your kingdom come, your will be done, to teach about bigger, broader realities of our lives. And, um, you know, one of the other teachings that comes to mind is when he was teaching us about our lives. He would say frequently things like, um, you know, whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it forever. Like, that is so subversive. But you, you think about what Jesus is doing, is he's unraveling our commitment to our own kingdom. What he's saying is everything you've spent your whole life building up, all of it. He's saying, you, you have to be willing to lose that all to get the real kingdom. Like, if you want the real life that I'm offering you, Jesus says, you have to be willing to forfeit the, the real life you think that you actually have. And, and here's the deal. Like, you know, I'll be the first to, to admit that seems helplessly um, hopeless. Like, th there is, you know, particularly speaking to, you know, 21st century Americans, well-to-do, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we are all wealthy. Like, it is very hard for us to begin to unravel that will, that willfulness in us. And that's what Jesus begins to do when he talks about, in verse 8, the power. Now, the, the power is in reference to the promise that Jesus made that there's, that there's another one coming. He would say, listen, it's better for me to go so that the helper can come. It's better for me to leave so that the encourager can come to be with you and in you. Uh, the reference is to the Holy Spirit. And when, when, when Jesus here says power, uh, he's not just like an energy source. He's not an electrical force that you just kind of, you know, you plug in and like he's going to just kind of charge you up and just really inspire you. He's a person. 
He's the third person of the triune Godhead, and he has come to be inside of you. And the work of the Spirit is to unravel your willfulness. It's to bring you to an end of yourself. Um, I'm reminded, um, we've read some of this with the kids, uh, but in the, the Voyager of the Dawn Treader, which is one of the uh, C.S. Lewis books in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, thing. There's a young boy named Eustace, and Eustace, uh, he 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 turned into a dragon. Uh, the 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 narrative in the book talks about how his selfish kind of ways made him a dragonish boy. He was he was dragonish, and it talks about this kind of hard, scaly skin that he had developed. And uh, if you if you're familiar with the, the with the series Aslan, who's who's Jesus in the book, Aslan's the great lion, and he he's he's walking with. Eustace, and he's leading him to a well to bathe in. Uh, he, he's he's going to take him there, and he's going to clean him. And Eustace gets to the well, and he can't get in. He's too his heart, his skin's too hard. He's too big. He can't get into the well, and so he begins to take off some of his own scales. He kind of begins to to relieve himself of some of that. But he realizes I can't do it all, and so what happens is Aslan has to take his claws in him. And he has to begin removing the scales. And the story tells how painful it is. It's, it's as though he cut to his heart is the way the story tells it. And so Aslan is stripping this young boy down from his dragonish ways. He's, he's removing his own willfulness from him so that he can go into the water and he can bathe. He can be clean. And at the end, when, when he's done, uh, Aslan, he clothes him, and he dresses him, and he's a young boy again. He's not a dragon anymore. And, and I tell this story because I think it, it really cuts to the heart of what it means to belong to the power of the kingdom of God. It requires the power to come up underneath your scales and to tear them out. And it is painful. Because if, if, you've ever, if you've been around the Christian faith at all, and, and some of you haven't, but you'll know that, that the grasping way is the dying way. Holding on to the life that you think you deserve or ought to have or have built up or you know that, that, that kind of white-knuckled, this is what my life will look like, will kill you. What Jesus is inviting us to uh, by the coming of the power is for us to lose our willfulness and to embrace willingness. It would be the language, kind of the spiritual language of surrender. And I'm not talking about like one time, you know, I surrender all, walking up the aisle to Jesus, and then you just kind of, like, this is the Christian life. To be overcome by the power of the kingdom in such a way that your willfulness dies and you are, you are open and blossomed to willingness to say yes to whatever God has for your life. And um, the only way that that will happen, here is, here is the flatline truth teaching of the Bible. You cannot do that through your own grit and work. You cannot just bootstrap your way through the Christian life to become less of a willful type of person. 
you must give yourself over to the power. You must, like he's, and he's waiting. Here's the thing, like he is patient. He will not bring you there until you're ready. And some of you are ready. He's leading you to the well. He's got his claws in you in some sort of way. And he's saying, are you ready to be clothed by me? Are you ready to be less willful and more willing? And if you're, if you're inclined at any degree to say yes to that, then here's the best part of this passage. It's the presence part, the presence of the kingdom. Um, and, and I'm kind of getting that language from the witness thing. So let me read verse 8 again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So God must act upon you. He must have his claws in you somehow, some form, some way. Yes, it's painful. And when that happens, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Um, one of the theological categories uh, that was introduced to me in my time at seminary, and, and I, I know I've used it up front here, so if you've been around our church, you've heard it, but that was really a ground-shaking type of thing for me uh, was, a, was by uh, a guy named Voss, kind of an old, old Dutch guy. I think he's a Dutch guy. Um, and he introduced these categories of the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And, l- and let me just, just kind of, again, unload some of that for us just to, in real, real earthly type of terms. One of the things that the Bible teaches is that Jesus brought a kingdom. Um, that it was already at hand. He would say things, he would look at his group of followers, and he'd say, listen, some of you here today are not even going to die before the kingdom of God comes. Some of you will behold the kingdom of God coming. Um, in this passage, obviously, the language of the kingdom. Is this the time, Jesus? Their concern is, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And again, he, he kind of subvertly answers that. Well, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. You don't know what that looks like. But the already and the not yet is the reality that God has taken the already of the kingdom. In other words, the, the finality that God's divine love will rule the world. And he's taken that final future reality and he has put it into the present already. But, but the kind of the the underbelly of that is it's not yet fully here. Like, we, we don't have to, you know, scroll through the Albuquerque Journal for more than, you know, five minutes to know that, that the fullness of the reign of divine love is not yet complete. So it is both already here and not yet complete. Now, here's, here's why that's important for us, because... What it, what it should sound like to the believer is an invitation. It should sound like an invitation to be participants in the kingdom that is already here. Now, when Christians talk about the kingdom, oftentimes what we will use is the language of, well, we've got to build God's kingdom on earth, or we've got to advance the kingdom, you know, to the world. And you know, I don't want to be super nitpicky with the language, but, but in, in, in some respect, um, that's not what the Bible's teaching. What the Bible's teaching is that the kingdom is already here. And our role is to bring an awareness of it to the world. Now, that is vastly different. 
So the invitation that I'm extending to you from this this morning, that I think Jesus is extending to you, is not go out and conquer the world and bring God's kingdom and tell them all about God's love and all that stuff. What I'm telling you is the kingdom's already here. And the invitation is for you to bring an awareness to it. You are witnesses to the kingdom that is already on earth. Now, um, so, so what is, what's the kingdom doing then? Like what is, you know, if the king, Jesus, has ascended to the throne, which is what this text is teaching. Jesus has departed the world. He's the king. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He's ruling over the cosmos right now. What is he doing in this, in this world? Well, simply put, he's making all things new. So the invitation from Jesus sounds something like this. My work is to make all things new. Would you like to join me in that? My work is to eradicate racism. My work is to um, just obliterate poverty. My work is to um, feed uh, children that go to bed hungry. My work is to provide resources for the unresourced people of the world. So what Jesus, what he's doing, and it is strangely subversive because the way we want it to come is like a flash in the pan. We want it to come and we want it to be big and splashy and to change everything immediately, but that is not the way Jesus works. The way Jesus works is he takes your heart and he dethrones yourself from it. Again, this is Eustace, right? He's undoing your will. And when he gets in there deep enough and all the scales get removed and you finally, finally will let go of your willfulness to live the life that you think you so desperately deserve and you'll put Jesus right there, then he can use you. And when he, when he sits on the throne of your heart in such a way that you've surrendered whatever dream of your life you think you deserve, then he can use you in a way where his presence of love is felt in the world. That's what it means to be a witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's God's cosmic plan. I mean, I mean, at one level, it just sounds, it kind of sounds silly. Like your plan, God, is to change my heart and then to partner with me in the world to change the world. Yes. My work is to make all things new. Are you interested in joining me in that? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that is what we will see happen time and time again through the book of Acts. He says, I will make all things new through you. Now, will you devote your life to that? Will you, will you give your life away the thing that you're grasping onto, the thing you think will make you happy, will you let go of that so that I can work in, with, and through you? Those are the types of people that Jesus wants to work in, with, and through. Let me, let me close with this. 
Um, there, uh, I got, not only do I watch reality TV, I also spend, you know, inordinate amounts of time on YouTube. So YouTube also vortexed me in for a little bit this, this week, and I, and I ran across uh, David Blaine. You guys are familiar with this guy? He's like a kind of a magician, master of the, the th- and if, you know, if, if that's like, you know, satanic and I shouldn't be watching that, you can just email me. We'll talk about that separately. But uh, David Blaine, the magician guy, he's great. He does fascinating things. He ha- apparently, I didn't realize this to watching this video, he has not been doing uh, his, his work, his, his magic stuff, over the past few years. Uh, and the primary reason behind that is because he has a daughter. Um, and in this video... His most recent public stunt, which I believe was happening live this week, was called Ascension. And Ascension uh, was, uh, was Blaine's newest idea to take, um, you know, a, a handful, more than a handful, I don't know, 20, 25 large helium balloons uh, to hook himself to them and to be, you know, taken up uh, 25,000 feet uh, and then skydive down. And the craziest part about this feat that he was going to accomplish was that he wasn't going to put the parachute on until he was at about uh, 4,000 feet. So he was going to, like, put the parachute on, like, while he was already beyond, you know, like, if it didn't work out, he's done. And so it was pretty fascinating. I didn't watch the whole thing. But at the very beginning, uh, he, he, it did work. I did fast forward to the end of it. It, it worked out for him. Uh, but at the very beginning... Uh, he's talking about this this new thing he's going to do, and he's talking to his daughter, and he's walking her up to the balloons where he's going to grab onto and ascend, and he's holding his little daughter's hand. I don't know, she's probably three, four. I'm picturing my little Isabel with you know with me. He's walking up to these balloons, and he says, "You know, baby, do you know that I haven't done a trick uh, since uh, you were one? I, I haven't done anything since you were one because uh, the last trick I did, you were scared." And I didn't like seeing that fear in your eyes. And he says, I picked this, this balloon, um, I don't know what he calls them, tricks, whatever. I picked this balloon trick um, because I wanted you to be inspired and not afraid. And I thought there's something to that. Friends that are here today, that are listening here or online, Jesus has ascended over all of the, the entire universe. And he has sent his helper to dwell in, with, and through you. Not so that you would be afraid to lose the life that you, that you want. Not so that you'll be miserable or sad or poor or moping. He, he did that so that you would be inspired and that you would long to live your life with him. So that's the invitation for you this morning. My work is to make all things new. Will you partner with me in that? Let's pray and ask him to make us willing people. Let's pray together. Jesus, there's never been a time like this, at least for those of us that are living now on earth, for us to reevaluate and reorient our entire life. Lord, I'm reminded of the words of Dallas Willard who said, review your plans for living and base your entire life on this remarkable opportunity. Jesus, you, by the power of your spirit and the invitation to belong to the kingdom, 
have given us a remarkable opportunity. You've quenched the wrath of justice on the cross. You've delivered us from death unto life. You've made us citizens of the kingdom of divine love. You've overcome our hearts in so many ways. I pray that you would do it again, that you would dethrone us from the, from the throne of our hearts and that you would sit there and that you would rule and that you would work in, with, and through us. God, we long to be useful in your kingdom, not because we need to earn your love, but because we already have it. Would you use us? Would you make us willing people? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 